0: Hello, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, brought to you by Campaign, the advertising media and marketing magazine. I'm Brittany Kiefer, creativity and culture editor.
1: And I'm Omar Oakes, media and tech editor at Campaign.
0: Later in this episode, you can hear my interview with Ben Essen, Chief Strategy Officer of Iris, and we talk about how the ad industry and marketers can help fight climate change. That's a heavy topic. So first, before we get into that omar uh i imagine that with a a baby a young baby you have a lot of time to play fifa is that right
1: (laughs) well as you might expect Brittany, um when you when you have a child it just means you get all this free time because uh, they just sleep all the time and don't require any of attention no of course not i I, that's
0: what I, i
1: actually banned myself from playing video games about 15 years ago because um it took up far too much of my life as a youth so um um we're about to get into subject matter which um Which I have fondness for, but is quite alien nowadays.
0: Okay, yeah, I thought you might be more of a FIFA expert. I normally don't care about video games or football, but I really love this new campaign that FIFA released last week that Admin Eve DDB created. Stop being lazy. No, man, I'm tired.
1: Alright man. Oh, okay, so man, do, you, do you oh, you don't, to to? I mean Oh I to go, we'll play together when I come back, alright?
0: Did you see it, Omar?
1: I did. I did. Um, and of course, it comes hot on the heels of uh, the European Super League failed proposals, as they seem to be. Oh, um, yeah. So it's a, it's a rather good time for a, for a football brand or a video game football brand to be coming out with this. Uh, it's a good ad. What did you think? What did you, tell, tell us about the creative. What did you think?
0: Well, I loved it. So this, so the listeners know this is actually the winning campaign in Channel 4's annual diversity and advertising award. And in case they're not familiar so Channel 4 awards one million pounds worth of commercial airtime to the winning idea and each year they'll set a brief that will tackle some area of diversity so this uh, 2020's theme was addressing the lack of representation and advertising of black Asian and minority ethnic people and Adam and Eve DDB's idea for fifa was to tackle the lack of representation of british agents in professional football so i didn't realize this not you know being a football fan but the um number of british agents in professional football is really low and it's uh it's also out of proportion from the general population so i think the statistic is in 2020 just 10 or 0.25 percent of the UK's 4,000 professional footballers were British Asians, and wow. that's compared with seven percent of the population. Um, and of course, in advertising as well, British Asians—you know—they they almost never show up in ads, and that's been a problem that we've uh, talked about before. So this ad was, I thought, really special. It it tells the story of the Midnight Ramadan League. Are you familiar with them, Omar?
1: I had no idea this was a thing and it makes you wonder as a professional sports athlete and um, this ad actually features a Leicester City football player who's Muslim and, and you wonder during Ramadan, um, how has this guy just managed to perform at a top level and um, without eating and all the rest of it? Um, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. So the Midnight Ramadan League was founded in Birmingham and it was set up to help Muslims continue playing football during the month of Ramadan and it's a grassroots club so they kick off their matches at... At night after you would break the fast and before um, the early morning meal, before you start fasting again, um, and this focuses on one particular teenager who who actually does play in the league, and so it follows him as he breaks the fast at home with his family. They pray, they eat, and then he goes out at night to play football. His energy starts to kind of wane when he's on the pitch. And then the Lester footballer, sorry, I don't remember his name. I'm not good with football names. Um, he shows up and helps him continue playing. And then he rushes home to play with his little sister, which is a really sweet moment. And they continue uh, to play together. So I thought this was so special because it feels so genuine. Like even the smallest details of the ad, like the food that they're eating at night, like that this was an actual meal that the mother had prepared this was the teenager's actual family they were in his home in birmingham and it just feels very authentic without kind of like pushing any kind of agenda just being a really genuine portrait of this family and this boy and his love for the sport what did you think omar
1: that's an important point you said at the end about not pushing a particular agenda it's just a fact of life and uh and it dovetails with what you said right at the start about there being so many British Asians, uh, not just Muslim, but Indian and other backgrounds, who aren't represented um, proportionately in sports. And when you see an ad like this, it's just you know a window into somebody's life without saying without without pushing any agenda. As you say, this is this is a part of British culture. There are a lot of Muslims, and they 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 are part of you know football is obviously a part of mainstream culture and they are very much a part of that but they have to adapt and that's that's the thing about multiculturalism we all come to the same table but in our own different ways um and i just think i've, I've got a lot of love for this diversity in advertising award by channel 4 because you look at something like this and i just don't think this ad in a hundred years would have been made otherwise without this diversity in advertising award um because it's not if you're in ea's position commissioning this is this really gonna sell more video games for fifa i don't think it really will Mm. but it's part of this i guess it's this overall big brand responsibility that they have if they if you know to talk about culture means to talk about multicultural, multiculturalism. And, you know, I, I'm really glad that we have this outlet that allows them to do that. Mm.
0: I want to point out a couple of things about the campaign as well that I thought were really cool. So one is that we have talked about, obviously, you know, so often that diversity is important in screen and on screen and seeing yourself represented Really important, but what made this ad so different and I think feel so authentic is that the team behind the scenes were really diverse as well. So, a couple of the FIFA clients, the creative part of the creative team, the director, the film editor, the composer, even some of the runners on set. All came from a British Asian background or they had like a personal connection to the Muslim community. And so that meant that when they were making all these creative decisions, there was a true diversity of thought on set and different points of view you know, they weren't all like, for example, Selma Ahmed, who's one of the creatives at Adam and Eve, who made this ad, she's from a Pakistani background. So it's not like everyone on set was Pakistani. So, but they were, you know, a lot of them had this connection to, british asian cultures and it meant that when they were making these smaller decisions they could kind of challenge each other and and debate things and for example when they were choosing the track the director basam tarik he said he had initially chosen this track and selma from adam and eve said actually that sounds too bollywood that sounds kind of indian that's not really but this family (laughs) is pakistani like that's you know that's not a true representation of something they might listen to so it was kind of even those small details that because there was so much diversity on set it wasn't just like one token asian person which sadly often happens in these um processes that they could truly create like a genuine portrait of this family and i thought that was really special the other thing that was really cool is that the teenager who appears in the ad kaiser um he is, you know, like I said, he's a real player in the Midnight Ramadan League. He lives in Birmingham. And at the end of the process, he said to some of the creatives, I had no idea that this job of making ads existed. And it got (laughs) got him really interested. And he told some of his friends in Birmingham about it. And now he's actually got a running job with a director coming up. And I just think like that's such a great example of when you involve people from different Backgrounds, but a, a truly diverse team. Like you can open these doors to people who never would have even known about this industry.
1: You know, through ads like this, through just just more open-minded thinking about talents, as we've thankfully seen in the last couple of years, in particular. Hopefully, you know that the, we're kind of jumping over this moat now, and we are going to see more diverse work because it's not because, frankly. It's not about, you know, well, it's all well and good about having, um, you know, p- p- people from a certain background who know what they're talking about working on this particular ad for FIFA. What about, you know, Adam and Eve, so what they, they do, um, John Lewis. What about the next John Lewis ad? You know, who are they, who are they bringing in in terms of a diverse team? You know, I'm not picking on them. It's just because that they do so many great John Lewis ads. But I'm just thinking in general, our ad agency is actually getting, you know, enough diverse talent to actually work on the mainstream brands and not you know when talking about you know, so-called you know the christmas ad for example mm-hmm. is it is are they doing all that they can in terms of reaching all consumers you know i'm i'm doing a piece for the magazine where i'm looking at you know since the black lives matter protests last year there was this promise you might remember the ad industry they did this 10 point manifesto where they made all these promises about being more inclusive Um, towards black and ethnic minorities. And one of these points was investing more in community media, um, you know, the voice newspaper, Sunrise Radio, et cetera. So I've been doing a bit of investigating for the May issue, which has come out in a couple of weeks, um, which um, we'll see whether this has been the case. I'm not going to reel my findings just yet, um, but it's really important.
0: Well, I can't wait to read that, but I just wanted to fly. I think it's really important. um, Like you're saying, why can't we do this for, uh, why can't agencies do this on other campaigns Selma, Adam, and Eve said that at the very beginning of the process, they met with Pulse Films, the production company, and they said, can we have as many diverse people on set as possible? So they said that at the beginning, they made a conscious effort to make this happen and look for the talent, and the talent is there. And it resulted in this really special campaign. We both love it. And... I think you know if more people made that effort we would see more creative work we would see true truer stories and a greater diversity of stories and fifa says in the ad you know that its goal of with this campaign is to inspire the next generation and create these new role models and i think that they've done this behind the scenes as well in the making of this ad
1: and you know f- fair play for actually um tackling religion as a subject of marketing as well, because um, religion seems to be a problematic area for brands. Mm. Um, I think it's, I think it's an even more acute issue in the UK where let's be frank, we're living in a, you know pseudo christian theocracy i think is the uk in iran which are one of the only countries on earth where you've got the clergy who are able to vote on laws um it, it, you know, we still we still have, i learned the other i take an interest in this nowadays I, I learned last week that there's a law going back to 1944 where all state schools in the uk actually require children of primary school age to say prayers mm. um And um, you know, it's there is there are real barriers to Muslim Muslim inclusion, uh, not just in marketing.
0: Yeah, well, that's an interesting point. When I spoke to Basam, the director, he actually mentioned the scene specifically where the family is praying. That's so rare to see in an ad. And as Selma was saying to me, like the depictions of Muslims in advertising, it's very rare to see at all. But when you do see it, it's often very cliched and most likely, you know, made made through the lens of someone who probably isn't from that faith background. But Bassam, uh, he had a great quote about this. He said, portraying prayer was really important. That's the stuff that people usually shy away from because all those little symbols of authenticity and faith can be quite charged. But to rob people of that is also taking away from who they are. For brands to be open and accepting of that is so important. So... I mean, I think we've praised this campaign up for a long time, but... I was going to so
1: many- say amen, but that wouldn't be right with it.
0: <laughs> no, uh, there's just so many great lessons, I think, from how they made this. And I would encourage everyone to go watch it and read the story about it as well.
1: Yeah. Um, and how, is this weird for you, by the way? You being host and me being the guest? Is it weird? It feels a bit weird. It is a bit weird. I think this is a new dynamic we have to get used to. <laughs> No, uh well sorry about that but no you're, you're very good Brittany. carry on carry on
0: oh thanks well speaking of channel four not to sing their praises too much but they also had some um big news this week that they've launched a pregnancy loss policy to support employees what's interesting about the policy is it's pretty comprehensive it's not just covering miscarriage but experiences like stillbirth and abortion um Omar, what do you think of this? This was a big step, I think, a, a good statement of intent from the broadcaster, and it got, I think, a pretty good reception, um, from what I can see. What do you think of? You know, they're not the first to in- introduce this policy, but why is it important?
1: Well, it's 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 an inc- obviously it's an incredibly difficult thing to talk about, even among close family and friends, let alone your employer so i think um, first of all just to just to just to institute a policy which creates a bit more space and care and attention for people who are unfortunate to to, to deal with miscarriage stillbirth abortion etc um it's it's you know it's an incredibly difficult time but yet in my experience at least it's more common than maybe you'd think Mm. um so you know it, it it kind of reminds me of um the discussion we had a few weeks ago about endometriosis and just you know i think that would that affected one in eight women if i can remember off the top of my head and you know a, a lot ten, more than yeah. i thought that One in 10, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's you just feel instinctively that something that is happening so much in society isn't anyone's fault. Unfortunately, it's just something that happens in nature um, when it comes to miscarriage and stillbirth. And you you instinctively feel like we should be able to to talk about this more openly, but it just doesn't happen that way. Um, So I'm I'm really pleased that, you know, um, I don't know, I haven't had too much experience about looking at specific policies that Channel 4 have announced, such as, you know, having a pregnancy loss champion i don't know how effective that will be um they've got this um this um, in-house network called four women which developed it um but it looks like they've done a lot of research they've consulted several charities about it um so i have to trust that this will actually be something that is effective and supportive for people but you know generally in terms of direction of travel um you know i applaud them
0: just to give a bit of context the subject of pregnancy loss policies and specifically miscarriage Leave has come into the spotlight recently because in New Zealand the parliament passed a bill of giving paid miscarriage leave. To employees. And some people incorrectly reported that New Zealand was the first country to do this. That's not the case. There's actually many countries in Asia already had such policies in place, like India, I think, passed a bill as early as 1961. Um, But that definitely brought the issue back into the spotlight. And it's something that in advertising already existed as well. Last year, for example, Lucky Generals and Creature introduced miscarriage leave, um, paid leave for people who've experienced it or their partners. Um, and so I think it's good that we're talking about this again. And Saatchi and Saatchi has also introduced something similar. Well, they've launched this initiative called Saatchi Family, which along with miscarriage leave also includes a $350,000 child care fund to support employees who are, you know, need some support with child care. Um, so I think that all of these are, it's kind of interesting to me that they're coming into place after COVID. I mean, COVID still exists, but, you know, in the wake of the pandemic, because there's been a lot of research showing that certain people are really under pressure during the pandemic, particularly like working parents and working mothers. And so I think to, to have some of these policies is really important and hopefully shows a step in the right direction and kind of creating a more welcoming environment a more welcoming work culture a more supportive culture for people working in advertising.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right and particularly, you know, at a broadcaster and other media owners it can be an incredibly stressful, probably still macho environment in a lot of cases and again signals are really important in corporate life and you know i i would wonder in a year's time after this policy's been around where how many how many people would actually you know take take them up on the opportunity to to ask for some some leave because you know a lot of people don't actually say that they're pregnant until you know 20 weeks sometimes because they just want to make sure that they're they're a long way down the road but so the chances of miscarriage are much lower right um mm-hmm. so so what so what actually does happen and then you you're going to turn to your line manager or whomever and say you know oh by the way i was pregnant but we, we lost it can i have some leave please i mean i'm just saying it's it's incredibly difficult and a lot of people might not want to do that but regardless of that signals are really important it sends out the message that the employer is there to support you yeah um, because you know i i don't obviously have personal experience of that um being being, be having x y chromosome but you know it's uh, advertising uh, speaking to people i know in other in other industries advertising doesn't seem as bad frankly in um frank like law or accountancy i think this is something which has been rife in corporate culture just ignorance at best but actually misogyny at worst where there's not enough family um friendliness um, women are kind of um you know they're they're not given opportunities because they 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 might be in their mid-30s recently married or they might be having children or we we don't want to kind of um um, promote them too soon because they're just going to go off and leave for two years that that has been the attitude i've heard people say it i've heard people been told that openly in meetings not in ad agencies or media owners or media agencies, to be fair. But this is something which, um, again, thankfully, we we hear less of. um, Mm. But a signal like this is a step in the right direction.
0: I agree. And I think it's easy sometimes when corporations introduce policies like these to kind of dismiss it or look at it cynically and say, oh, this is just like good PR for them. Or, you know, what is it actually going to change? But I actually do think that these kinds of policies are necessary. And it reminds me of a conversation I had last year when I was writing a feature about casting. And there are some agencies and companies such as Publicist Group that had put in place some frameworks to kind of talk about racism and and, gender, Uh, ethnic inequalities and addressing some of these inequalities within the company and I was speaking to someone who said like when we talk about some of these issues that have previously been taboo that didn't go that weren't addressed within the workplace such as racism, gender inequality, things like pregnancy loss or the menopause or these issues that you just wouldn't talk about work. When we talk about um these issues we need activists. We need people to um push for change on social media on in protests, you know, but we also need corporations to do what they do best, which is actually change the structure of their businesses and put in place changes that will shift the culture. So I do think that these policies are necessary and, like you said, send a really positive signal.
1: It's almost as if having a female CEO leads to positive change in many respects.
0: Yeah, how interesting. <laughs> um, so, Omar, I think that we are out of time. What are you going to be up to this week uh, in some of your last days at campaign?
1: My last days at campaign. You can't wait to get rid of me. No, we um, um, we still got, we still got uh, May... Uh, issue to get out so um we're we're fast approaching press deadline for that and so as i mentioned i'm doing this feature on community media which i'm quite excited about Um, and i gotta i gotta gotta write a column i gotta write a It's not going to be a farewell column, but I've got to write a column. Um, And also, um, yeah, lots of stuff. We've got the Campaign Tech Awards um, coming up next week, uh, the 6th of May. Um, So we're doing some prep work for that ceremony as well. Um, So lots going on. No kind of winding down for me, I'm afraid. How about you? What are you working on, Brett? I'm going to miss talking to you like this.
0: I know. Uh, I'm going to miss it too. Well, I'm working on a follow up to these policies that um, we were talking about. So not just pregnancy loss. But there are some new um, there's a new initiative that publicist POKE put in place about the menopause. Um, So I'm working on that and also helping out with the press day for the May issue. But yeah, hopefully we can catch up next week before you leave us.
1: I would love to. I'll be I'll be waiting for your call.
0: Okay, great. Well, now over to my interview with Ben. I'm here today with Ben Essen, the Chief Strategy Officer of IRIS. So Ben has done a lot of work at his own agency and with the ad industry generally to help the industry think about how it can take positive steps to tackle climate change and kind of rethink its purpose and its role with the environment. We're recording this interview on a day when the UK government has set out new ambitious targets to cut carbon emissions by 78%. By 2035, there is also a new story this week that said carbon dioxide emissions are forecast to jump in 2021 by the second biggest annual rise in history. So, Ben, I uh, last week reported a story about a new initiative that you have at IRIS that will incentivize marketers to actually help their businesses take steps against climate change. So let's start out by talking about that. It's called the Carbon Kickback Program. Can you explain how it will work and what you're hoping to encourage marketers to actually do?
2: Absolutely. And, th- and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, the, the Carbon Kickback, we, we decided we needed to, you know, we, we are in the UK approaching hopefully the end of, end of lockdown era, Um, and a period of re-emergence where we come back into the world. And we worked on a a campaign uh, last year with the purpose disruptors called the Great Reset, uh, which identified um, that coincidentally the reduction in emissions uh, in 2020 caused by lockdowns around the world was was 7%, which is exactly the uh, reduction that we need to achieve year on year for the next 10 years um, to align with the IPCC's targets of what we need to do to avoid runaway climate change and keep heating close to 1.5 degrees. So um, you know, we, the question was, coming out of lockdown, what do we do next? Do we go back to how we were before, or do we sustain these behaviours and indeed go further to, to drive another 7% in, in reductions? And I think the, the thing that we've learned over a lot of things the last couple of years is we can't leave anything to chance. We can't kind of hope that behaviours will change. We, you know, we have to lead, lead for that change. So that left us in a position to say, um, let's come out and set out our agenda with our clients in terms of how we think we need to be working in, in the new world and actually our, our expectation of how we think they should be working and how we can help them with it. Um, and so the, the, the carbon kickback is basically saying that let's let's uh, share the responsibility for driving reductions, but let's also share the benefits. Um, so actually, if we are creating efficiencies from uh, acting more sustainably, then we'll pass those efficiencies back on to our clients and, and, and make it worth their while. And the kind of behaviours are uh, multiple. It starts for us with our direct impacts, so our scope one, two, three impacts and the things that we can change. And as a service business, we don't have loads. It's it's our offices, um, it's our commuting, um, and it's our our travel. And um, we we found when we did our own uh, uh, calculations that international air travel was responsible for 55% of of our total emissions across the IRIS network, 14 offices around the world. And that's pretty consistent with the rest of the industry. We know from the work we did with the Advertising Association. So, so, you, so immediately you go, okay, well, let's start, start with the biggest problem. So the biggest problem is international travel. So um, we're committing to going digital first. Um, and that basically means that we are trying to avoid international travel unless it's really, really necessary and um, and creating the most significant um, restrictions there, which yeah, it shouldn't be hard we've just done it for 12 months uh-huh. so it's about maintaining all those great behaviors all the benefits we've achieved and, and carrying on with that
0: yeah so one of your clients Starbucks already signed up to it right
2: they did indeed yes and I think and I think for them it's it's this kind of end-to-end piece so so yes there's something about behaviors yeah they we, we work with them across the so and actually we in the last year have had days where we've run workshops in Europe and Latin America on the same day with the same people sharing knowledge so there's loads of benefits they, as a global organization, have already seen to, to go digital first. So, that, that you know, isn't a hard sell for an organization like them. The, the other piece for it for us is kind of going, you know, taking our responsibility beyond direct emissions mm-hmm. and um, thinking about the behavior we're promoting and the outcomes that we, we create from our work. So, a lot of the work with Starbucks is around actually supporting them on their own sustainability transformation. Um, and, uh, you know, both in terms of, I don't know, we're helping them currently with their food. Uh, food strategy mm-hmm. and, and thinking about um, how that can evolve uh, in a more more sustainable world, um, and ob- obviously, of course, there's lots of things post post COVID in terms of how you how they get the um, impact back into things like you know, reducing waste. Uh, even though obviously you know, that's kind of gone backwards during COVID because of um, hygiene concerns. So so definitely thinking that our scope um, is as much about supporting their transition and hitting their net zero. Goals as as it is about hitting our own, and, that, and that's really where the eco effectiveness um, principle comes in.
0: Can you explain that tool? Because that's something you and Purpose Disruptors rolled out last year. Which, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it measures the carbon footprint of your actual creative campaigns.
2: That's right. That's right. So there's obviously a lot of work being done around production, mm-hmm. um, and as you know, we talked about direct impacts. How we how we become more efficient in the way that we work and the outputs that we create but but obviously uh, there's another a much much bigger element which is about the outcomes created by our work uh, and our observation was that we have an amazing effectiveness culture in the UK um, we have you know the, the sorts of time and resources that are putting into calculating the commercial and other returns from marketing and advertising is amazing you know we, we, the data science that goes into really being able to attribute uplifts in in sales, NPS, profit, revenue from advertising is really strong. Um, So we were saying, how can we use all all that that great machine um, in in pursuit of uh, a more sustainable planet? And and actually, what we observed was that in boardrooms around the world, uh, a new measure has has, has cropped up, uh, net zero specifically, and most organisations that we work with now have a net zero target. Uh, if we, there are no effectiveness studies that talk about how marketing or advertising can help achieve that net zero target. So the start point for us was we just need to start measuring this thing. Uh, we, you know, we need to kind of create, create benchmarks that says campaign X had a, uh, a, um, a carbon impact of, of Y. And, and then we can use that to start building a database of insights in terms of how you actually drive these reductions because the, because the, the billion-dollar question is, as an organization, how do I reduce my emissions, uh, first halving them by 2030 and then hitting net zero by 2050, while maintaining my profitability? And, and that's a question that we think we can help them with.
0: So some people might ask, is it actually the role of an ad agency to help the environment or to tackle such a big problem such as climate change? I think when we first met a couple of years ago, we were talking about how the ad industry could be facing a bit of an existential crisis, right? Because in some ways you could argue it's it's been guilty of kind of perpetuating some of these um, patterns of consumerism that have contributed to climate change, right? So in a way, it's like, does the industry even have to kind of rethink its whole purpose for being and what it's supposed to do? Like, should it, does it even have a leg to stand on in tackling environmental issues?
2: It's a great question. Um, And I think certainly two years ago, uh, when we we started talking about this, I think it did feel very existential because advertising in one way has been the, you know, it, it, it was created out of the industrial revolution and it was about, you know, feeding the demand Um, to to satisfy the the supply that was being generated by industrialization and and, and, factories and and being able to mass produce stuff. Um, So through that lens, what role does it have have to play in a a world where where we need to drive degrowth rather than growth? The other way of looking at it is we we as an industry are about um, using creativity to help businesses achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. that's 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 why we exist, and, and you know it's a, it's a long time since we've stopped being an advertising industry and started being a, a you know, a creative industry which helps achieve myriad goals, some of which are very different. Mm-hmm. and I think where we're better off than where we were two years ago is that now most of the organizations that we work with have some new business goals um, in the form of reducing their emissions. so actually that they are talking about how do we do this? God, if only we could come up with a really creative way. Of reducing our emissions to net zero and also making money yeah and it's like haha what we need is some you know an industry of creative thinkers and, and strategists who are able to use can you know consumer behavior change help build you know visionary uh ideas for organizations help build roadmaps and plans internally for how an organization transforms all these things we do as an industry so so i so i believe um we have a massive opportunity to fulfill this demand and and actually you know the business that we will be in for the next decade and beyond is is the business of uh you know driving uh net zero and profitability at the same time
0: it feels like a long time ago now but the year before the pandemic was when i think a lot of people kind of woke up to this issue and you saw more businesses and brands taking a stand or kind of speaking out about it. That was, I think, also the year when we had the global climate strikes. And then you get to 2020, the pandemic hits. um, And as you touched on in the beginning, we had an unexpected benefit from lockdowns, which was the year, I think, Purpose Disruptors called it the year we became accidental climate heroes, right? So how do you kind of keep this momentum going and keep this issue top of mind, now that we're in 2021 and hopefully some kind of normal life will be resuming soon.
2: Well, I think I think part of it is having a view on those goals. So, I mean, you, you talked about the new the new targets um set by the government today and, and you know that that ratcheting up of the reduction we're trying to achieve by 2035. I think the um response from uh, Ed Miliband was it's all about well having a goal, but how are you actually are going to achieve it? And I think in many ways we're in the same place. Our clients have put these goals out there. Um, of, of achieving massive reductions over the next 10, 15, 20 years. They don't know how they're going to achieve them yet. But they know that if they put the goal out there, it creates a destination for people to work to. And so the start point for me is stick that goal for every client you work on, write it on the back of some recycled paper, um, and, and, and you know, have it on your desk as a reminder of this is this is a client goal. We, if we could help them achieve this, we're helping them achieve their objectives. Um, so I think I think that's a big part of it. I, I think the other the other piece is. Is more of a sort of emotional one, um, and it, it's around reminding ourselves why, why we're doing this. Um, and 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 it's kind of yeah, you know, the thing around the climate fight is it's you know a, a an ultra marathon in comparison to the sprint that 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 has been COVID in a way. And 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 what that means is we keep having to kind of come back to why are we doing this again? What's what's the drug motivator? And, and I think that's about emotion. What I do, I actually think back to the climate summit that I attended. Um, you know, in 2019, run by the purpose disruptors. And you know, we had a moment within that when everyone just had to pause, having seen a very hard-hitting speech and think about it or not, and, and, and listen to how they were feeling at that moment. Mm. Um, it was a very emotional moment for everyone who was in, in the room. And, and i I still go back to that and try and reconnect with that feeling of that that fear, guilt, determination to, to do something about it and, and, and use that as a as a driving force. So I, I think I think we need to all kind of collectively try and do that together.
0: You've talked about this idea before of um, like a second age of consumerism or conscious consumerism and that that could be something that the ad industry helps create or usher in. So can you explain what that means? Like what would that look like?
2: Well, I think, I mean, some of that's what we were just talking about in terms of understanding that our our value is in making things interesting, aspirational, exciting, simple and so, and so, you know, latching ourselves onto some of the behavior changes we need to create and, and, and using our skills to enable them. I kind of feel like we need to be thinking bigger than consumerism 2.0. Okay. I, I think there's actually a bigger change that's happening here. Um, and you know, for, for me, it's more about participation than consumption, because a lot of the change, you know, we're, in, we're kind of entering an age where a lot of the changes won't just be instead of buying products x i'm going to buy product y actually it's going to be bigger than that and, and more about how i get involved actively in a new kind of lifestyle in a new kind of behavior you know brought to me by a brand you know made simple made accessible made easy but actually where i get involved and you know, a great example of that is the circular economy yeah you know the circular economy is is, is a really really key thing in the whole um you know tr- sustainable transformation the idea that we don't just consume but we we kind of have things in constant cycle between me, between a, and a brand and someone else. And, um, yeah, Ikea, for example, a couple of weeks ago published disassembly instructions, uh, for some of the leading products. So you can now take apart a product when you move house or don't need it anymore and return the parts and those parts will be reused and repurposed into other products for other people. That's not consumerism. That's, you know, that, that you are actively getting involved in, in, in that brand, in that, in that mission. Um and so I, I think we sort of you know for me that's participation. That's about me playing a an active role in 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 driving change and, and working with that brand to achieve it.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So you think we'll see more brands like IKEA doing that?
2: I, I think that will be you know the circular economy has been around in sustainability circles as a concept for 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 decades. And and it's always felt like a kind of supply chain idea, but it's but it's not. It's a it's a consumer idea. Um, and I think one, as we start to see examples like that, it will fire imaginations, and suddenly more and more people will um, will start to apply it. I, I think you know, the, even H and M, you know, launched a campaign yesterday. I think uh, where you know they're lending a suit to um, those going out for job interviews uh, post post pandemic, and you know that in many ways is a is a circular idea. It's about you know, how do you keep those suits in circulation. So I, I think we'll see lots of really smart kind of you know this is it, it's digital meat sustainability smart kind of service driven ideas and and i think probably we'll also see some massive disruptions from organizations who who come in you know the, the first tesla of circular who comes in and just blows apart a whole industry by introducing a, a new business model that that no one else has quite got around to putting into place
0: yeah. So I found that um, a lot of people I meet within advertising are really conscious of this issue and really care about a lot of social issues and want to make a change. But I wonder if kind of in the day-to-day work, sometimes they run up against this dilemma of how do I actually make a difference when my job ultimately is to sell this product to this consumer so what would you say to people who are working within agencies or within marketing businesses and they care about climate change, they want to help, but but they don't know what to do or where to start within their own business to make some kind of difference? What advice do you have for them?
2: My advice would be you're, you're, you're not alone and, and realizing that is the greatest step. I mean, that, that's exactly where, where I was and, um, for, for, for a long time, just you know, having this big tension between what I felt was what I should be doing and what I felt was what I was being asked to do mm-hmm. uh, in, in my day-to-day job. And um, the change for me happened when I realized that everyone else had the same tension within, within them as well. And it wasn't saying that there was a resolution to that, but mm-hmm. just by surfacing that tension and sharing it, um, suddenly you created a, you know, a culture where, where people could voice this. And, and when that tension is out in the open, then you can start coming up with, with smart solutions for me, it started with the purpose disruptors. I joined the community and found like-minded others in other organizations, um, but very quickly realized there were loads of like-minded others in my organization, but someone needed to kind of flush them out. Um, and now I've realized that everyone is in the same boat and and you know I've had my, I think some of my biggest moments have been realizing that you can talk about this to anyone. I sat down with a senior marketeer from an uh, a an airline client. Uh, and told them that I was really worried about flying uh, and its impact on the planet. And, and they said, yeah, me too. Mm. <laughs> and it, it was a sort of realized yeah, moment that the penny dropped and said, oh, yeah, of course, we're all in this together. We're all feeling this. And and, and there are no solutions, but let's start asking the questions. So, so for me, I, th- I think that's that's what I would say is just don't be afraid of the sort of you know hypocrisy. Don't be afraid if there isn't an answer. But, you know, connect with people and human, you know, the, the number of meetings I've had, where I've cried talking about this. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's the point at which other people will then start to maybe discover their own emotions that are a bit below the surface. And I think there is a lot of that that we need to do in order to, to kind of find, find these things. The, the other thing I would say is, I think there is a job at education, education. Um, so a lot of people still don't really know what impact can be made. And actually, we are internally launching uh, on Earth Day, A partnership with a with an organisation called Giki, who um, essentially allow you to kind of track your carbon emissions. So you know, put in all your lifestyle behaviours and get a sense of your emissions, but also let you do it collectively um, uh, within you know within an organisation and in teams. So we're going to have strategy versus creative, uh, looking at who can who can make the most sustainable changes over the course of the next six months, and you know, London versus New York doing the same thing, and 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 that's give me a lot of fun, but also it helps you very quickly realize where you can make the biggest impact. Um, so uh, yeah, I would I would urge others to, to get involved in that mission and maybe we can make it a industry-wide uh, agency versus agency competition.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. Tell me about some of the other stuff you're doing at Iris. Like there is one example of you'll give employees an extra day of holiday if they choose to use or to choose to get to their destination with a train or a car right instead of flying can you tell us more about that
2: yeah so maybe it's the process behind that that was most interesting i mean i mentioned the climate summit we inspired by that hosted our own one internally so a sort of very emotional time to talk about the science talk about the implications for what we do um let everyone kind of emotionally engage and then and then we hosted a series of action studios after it to to kind of explore where that could take us that was one of the ideas that came out of that along with um you know glass bottles in the fridge and and you know shifting from dairy to oat milk and all these kinds of things um, so it was just this this observation that says and, and to be honest it was what inspired the the carbon kickback it was like how can you just make sustainable behaviors a little bit easier um and and incentivize them for people mm. um, so so yeah we, we, we keep trying to get new ideas kind of coming up through the, um, through the group from the teams. And yeah, I think seeing this as an opportunity for creativity uh, and reminding ourselves that it can be exciting. It can, you know, it can be fun.
0: I found that myself personally, but a lot of people I speak to are just feeling really tired and unmotivated after this past year that we've had. So then sometimes when you consider a problem as big as climate change, that maybe we don't know where to start, there is just kind of a sense sometimes of hopelessness, or or what do what do I actually do, um, what can I do to help this problem? How do you personally feel? Do you feel hopeful, and what would you say to people who are kind of despairing about whether we can make a difference?
2: I, I think it's one of those really challenging issues that you need maximum levels of both hope and despair um, and you, i sort of iterate between them so um, i had quite a long period when i was feeling quite hopeful but i actually then listened to dystopian climate books on on uh audio books on the way into work every day just to kind of keep myself honest and remind myself oh yeah there's a reason we're doing this it's, you know um so so i think there is i think using the despair uh, to create positive energy is is is, is a thing I would say on the hope front that you know I'd go back to where we started, which is we've become these accidental climate heroes. We, we've we've achieved so much in the course of twelve twelve months that we never you know last February we had no idea how we were going to do what we had to. Do. We've now seen uh, seen how this can be achieved. There's there's real momentum out there. Um, you know it, all, all our clients have this on their agenda. We got an email from one of us one of our uh, big finance clients yesterday. Saying we're on a net zero journey, we're asking all our suppliers how they can help us on it. Um, what are you up to? You know, that that wouldn't have happened um, 18 months ago. So I think I think there, there is momentum. That the key is is to kind of work work together. I think and, and on our own we, we despair, but if we can kind of come together and and, and cooperate then we're in an exciting place.
0: Well, on that hopeful note, if people do want to get involved or they want to learn more about what you're doing, where can they go?
2: Come to come to Iris and, and come and see some of the things that, that, that we're up to. Uh, join the Perfect Disruptors and see some of the things they're up to. Um, look at Adnet Zero, which is the advertising association's mission that, that organizations can, can sign up to. We'll start with those three. Um, and there's probably lots of things to, to be getting involved in. There's some great... Ad Green are doing some great training programs at the moment on production and, and you know, but starting with uh, sustainability 101, but then how that can be applied in production. The IPA are working with Advertising Association on how to introduce more more training around this eco effectiveness. Um, we're currently talking to a lot of the awards bodies around how that that can be a big part of um, you know the next effectiveness award entries that people are people are putting in there. So I, I'm kind of hoping that through the collective effort that's happening within the industry, this is kind of popping up in most um, most places and spaces. And I guess the thing is, when it does, please embrace it. Please take it on and, and, you know, and kind of lead, lead for it yourselves and, and continue to build that momentum.
0: Yeah. And I would say probably just start with one thing and see how that goes. And then it could just grow from there.
2: <laughs> that's much better advice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to the campaign podcast. Thank you also to Ben Essen from Iris for joining me this week. This episode was edited by Lindsay Riley. You can read more about the stories we talked about and more news and analysis by campaign magazine at campaignlive.co.uk. If you're a first time listener, please subscribe or leave us a review. Goodbye, and hopefully see you again next week.